0: Hi everybody, Tito here. Just wanted to let you know that this episode, I we had a little audio issue and I had to use the backup recording, so it doesn't give me as much power to remove crosstalk and background noises and coughs and whatnot. So it's a great episode, I can't wait for you to hear it. But just so you know, if there's a little extra noise, that's the reason. <music> Welcome back to bread and butter where we are serving up the basics for Hearthstone improvement. Uh, our partner doc going to be here today. i have a story for that, but we have a very special guest, a returning guest tonight, Ron Mexico. Ron, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. How about you Tito?
0: I'm doing fantastic. So what have you been doing in the top 100 legend of Hearthstone lately? Well, um, for most of the time, up until recently,
1: I was just jamming Rogue like everybody else because Rogue is kind of broken, and it seemed like there wasn't really much of anything else that could realistically compete with it. And then I just got um, a little bit tired of it, and I missed Rexar. So, you know i I absolutely love playing Hunter as much as possible. I stumbled across um, what I thought was a pretty good list uh sort of collaborated with a couple people and then made some changes myself on you know uh, a build that i thought would be good enough and i started jamming my own personal build of hunter and uh right now i think i'm somewhere in the top 60 ish of legend uh and that's been mostly games of hunter over the last um maybe three or four days or so i think i'm currently on about uh Close to 100 games of Hunter in Top 100 Legend. And we're we're still surviving for the time being.
0: And if I recall, you kind of eased back into it because you were playing lots of Rogue and Highlander Shaman. And then you said, "Okay, one out of every five games, I'll play Hunter. And then you started to win every one out of five games. And you're like, all right, let's do it, right? (laughs) Well, yeah, uh, it was kind of funny.
1: I was like, okay, Hunter's not really viable. So I'm just, I'm not really going to play Hunter because I don't want to lose every game. Um, But it was right before the end of the year and I was doing my end of the year stream. And I thought it would be cool to be like, all right, well, let's go out with some Hunter games. So I decided every fifth game, I'll play a game of Hunter. And what do you know? I won like, 10 out of 11 games with hunter and i happened to close out my stream uh my final stream of 2023 with an exact lethal exact mana with king crush for my final game and i was like if if that isn't the best way to close out 2023 hearthstone i don't know what is uh so uh, i had a great time
0: doing that there's only one thing that would have made it better and i don't know if this is the case but was it against a control priest
1: oh no no it wasn't that would have been delightful yeah
0: So I've been struggling, and I think this is a common theme you guys hear me talk about in the uh, Hearthstone section. I have been bouncing up and down trying to find the right deck and also playing THL and getting ready for that. And I've bounced around from deck to deck. And then the other night I was climbing with Paladin and Pilot, who is, you know, friend of the show, friend on my THL team and one of my mods, uh, gave me a list and said, here, here's a new list. And I said, great. Normally, when he sends me a list, is it's absolute bait. But I figured, what the heck? It's not like I'm playing that well. And it was a cleave hunter. And it was a lot of fun. And I got myself all the way up to D1, two stars, one star, two star right around there. And I said, well, it's midnight. I should finish this because I'm on a roll. But I'm playing really well with this deck. I'll just do it tomorrow. And now I went back down to D5 and back up to D3. And right now I'm around D3. I've been. Pl- I'm, I'm back to the Paladin. I I have a hard time quitting the Countess, and she's only here for another, you know, couple months. So uh, she's just so much fun when you can get. I don't know, latest to Thanos, and you know, Gardens Grace, Gardens Grace, invitation, invitation. <laughs> it's gross. And yeah. Just the weird random stuff. I had one game today where I got Hodor, oh son of Ho'Deer, and. Uh, uh, Loken and uh, what's his face there? Uh, The one that does charge goes through the demon hunter charge goes through taunts. Oh, Kane? Yeah. Kane. So I had an 8-8, an 8-8, and then an 8-8 charge which I put a Garden's Grace on and I still lost that game. Nice. Oh, oh brutal. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> they they it just was one of those things, but um, I think I overcommitted, but um, I, I showed some people the replay, like I would have done the same thing, so I didn't feel as bad. Uh, but we'll yeah. get
1: there. I mean, sometimes just how it goes. I was about to ask you if you did the uh, the cane lethal because that we've already talked about what I did uh, on my stream, which happens to be my favorite Hearthstone lethal of all time, which is King Crush. My second favorite Hearthstone lethal of all time is cane with the cane voice line saying found you as you uh, finish them off. It's, it's always really fun.
0: Oh, I love it. My favorite my favorite, is dropping King Crush, but then killing them with something else, saying, I could have killed you with this. <laughs> Different styles, yeah. Yeah. I, I only do that if they start emoting towards the end, like they're going to win. Um, <laughs> so how about outside- Because of, uh,
1: oh, interestingly enough, because of bananas, uh, I was going to say my new like signature move apparently is play King Crush, give King Crush a banana, and then kill them. <laughs> uh, to reward him for being a good boy.
0: <laughs> it's also good. When you- Everybody loves
1: bananas, man. Even dinosaurs.
0: All oh, here otherwise. Play- it's great when you can play him on turn seven and off the um the spell and, and finish. Oh, yeah. There. That- that's beautiful. Oh, yeah. So how about outside of Hearthstone? What have you been doing? Uh, there's not a whole lot of
1: exciting things outside of Hearthstone. Um, my partner recently uh, started in uh, nursing. She works night shifts. So sleep schedule's been all over the place kind of weird we're still trying to adjust to that um, and then just outside of that we're just trying to find time to spend time together in our uh, free time that's not consumed by either me streaming or her working or me working um, so we've we wound up watching a lot of anime but uh you know that's it's been fun just she's really into it I'm getting more and more into it uh, as the more she watches, the more she pulls me into it. Uh, just different things to pass time, but it's been cool.
0: Yeah, I have not watched a ton of anime. Um, I did back in the day. I watched there, there were there was certain anime that was brought over. Um, this was in the early 80s. It was called uh, Force five and, and um, uh, Force five and Grandizer. And it was uh, Star Blazers. And it was only in like New England and Virginia that it was available. And I grew up on that. But Interesting. It was weird. Um, like nice. one, of them, one of them, you had to, they had to get back and forth to the end of the universe and back in three hundred sixty-five days in order to get the cure for radiation poison or something. It was, it was, you know, whatever. <laughs> nice. But, yeah. I like it. You get. Oh yeah. Um, but outside of that, um, I haven't been doing a whole lot. It's been weird with the weather because we've had snow that turns to rain, and then a fifty-degree day. Snow turns to rain. Fifty-degree day. So. I haven't had to do that much snow removal lately, and I'm happy with that. And outside of that, just, you know, doing the usual work, playing with the kids and that. But yep, exciting news. And we normally don't go too, too in depth, except for that one time where we had uh, Bandit Heath and Just a Guy. We had an epic three hour episode where we reviewed the mini set. We're not going to do that today. We have a new mini set. Um, it's what is it? D- Dive in the Deep Home, Depths of De- Deep Helm. What, what is the name of it? Do you remember?
1: Uh, deep home is the, the name of the place. I think it's delve delve into deep home. Yeah.
0: Perfect. Um, and we've had not all the cards. I was kind of hoping we'd have the hunter cards revealed before today, which was not the case, but we've had, um, there's a lot of dual classes. There's a lot of, uh, we've had the neutrals. We've had, I believe warlock priest, demon hunter, Mm -hmm. I think rogue. Uh, so we've had a few, uh, the legendaries are Therizine, Therizane, which is an elemental, uh, seven mana, seven, five, taunt, death rattle, double the stats of all elementals in your hand and deck. I think the hand is a big deal. I think that's what Black Rock and Roll needs. We talked about this the other day. If Black Rock and Roll also hit your hand, it'd be much better for five mana to do nothing. But what do you think of this card so far? What What are your thoughts on this?
1: Um, Honestly, I think it's, still probably too slow and won't see significant competitive play. Uh, that being said, it's we never know. Uh, not even all of the cards have been revealed yet, so there could be some additional synergies that boost it and make it possible to play. Um, seems like its most natural fit would be Elemental Shaman, and Elemental Shaman was a deck that looked briefly playable for a couple days in the new expansion and then fell off a cliff hard. Uh, And that just usually happens to be the case of decks that are very committed to one singular game plan that they can't ever deviate from because, for instance, the payoff of Scar is just way too good and way too restrictive to ever not play an elemental on every single turn, which means you kind of need to build your deck to curve that way, and if you build your deck to curve that way and a different situation comes up, that means that your turn three or four or five play is bad because you're playing that statted elemental on that turn. Uh, If you deviate from it, your whole game plan is shot to hell. If you don't deviate from it, you have a bad turn. Either way, you wind up losing. Kind of seems to be the case, so... It's a card that supports that, and that happens to be not very good. So I don't have a whole lot of hopes for that new Legendary, but I could be wrong. Um, Maybe it'll be Fringe, uh, maybe even better. And it'll certainly be a fun card for a lot of people. I just don't see it being like a a power card that changes the meta.
0: Fair enough. What if I was to say... Well, instead of just playing an elemental deck, let's make it Highlander. And then we can put in the other elemental legendary, which is Mar- Marut Stonebinder, which is a seven mana, five, six, Battlecry. If your deck has no duplicate, discover an elemental to summon. Then the other two go into your hand. Does this make you more interested in elemental, Shana? Uh, No. <laughs> Fair enough. No word. Now, <laughs> what if I was to add the third element the third legendary which is also a highlander card it's a deep minor brand which battle cry if your deck has no duplicates your battle cries trigger twice for the rest of the game
1: now that i'm interested in so uh first just going back to address the uh shaman issue or elemental shaman or something if you're running a highlander deck you can probably still win games eventually if you just draw reno on eight because reno is that good and play Reno and you can win some games. That that'll just happen. Even if the rest of the deck around him is not great. Uh but when it comes to specifically a warrior deck, because Bran apparently is a warrior card, which uh as someone who is very uh very obsessed with Hunter, um, I'm a little upset by just considering there's only ever been a neutral card and a hunter card for Bran, and the only hero skins for Bran are also Hunter. so I was kind of expecting Bran would be hunter, and I'm kind of upset. Whatever, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a warrior card, and it's really, really good. Um, currently, it seems like Excavate Warrior, 40-card warrior type of stuff built around Odin seems to be the prevailing warrior strategy, and I think Bran is so insane as a card to double battle cries like it makes up for cutting more excavates because you can double the battle cry of the excavates. And it just the power spike goes crazy. So I think Warrior will be a very significant meta contender because of Bran. And Highlander Warrior strategies will be enabled.
0: Okay, I will correct you on one thing, just so no one's confused. You're not doubling your battle cries. Battle cries trigger twice for the rest of the game. So you cannot balance brand back into your hand, play him again, and get additional battle cries. It's always going to be twice. And that, that's an important distinction. Fair. My bad. In the,
1: yeah, in the wording of it, it, it says twice. So you can't keep stacking it. Sort of like how they recently patched Odin and Odin no longer stacks. So if you played multiple Odins, you just get the one singular effect. If you played multiple brands, you're still just triggering two battle cries on each single battle cry you play
0: right and, and and that i think is an important distinction because otherwise i mean i my mind was already going when i first saw it and i actually didn't realize it was a warrior card for a bit i thought it was i was just expecting brand to be neutral so i didn't even look at the board i was like oh brand legendary like what can we do with it and the weird thing about the elemental shaman just real quick i've seen in the last 10 games i played i've seen three elemental shaman
1: interesting people getting geared up for the new uh mini set maybe
0: Maybe somebody also said John Bray was playing a little bit. So I guess that's just kind of where it comes from. Uh, so we're not going to go through the whole mini set. Otherwise we have, we'll be here forever and I don't want to keep Ron that long. Uh, but are there any cards that have been released so far that you are excited about um, or worried
1: about? i pretty much Bran. Bran is the card that I'm excited about. I think I will really enjoy playing Highlander warrior and doing extra battle cry stuff. I remember uh, way back a long time ago, Quest Shaman, the one that required you to play Battle Cry cards and then changed your hero power to double Battle Cries. It was one of my favorite Hearthstone decks that I've ever played. Um, I can't remember how many years ago, but it was a lot of years ago. And uh, it's just cool to see that as an option that's come back. But so far, the rest of the mini set cards, uh, I don't know, I'm... I'm not really all that uh, interested in them. I don't think Therizane's going to be all that good. Um, The additional excavation stuff is pretty interesting. Um, And then there is... It's more of like a teaser that I'm excited about where they mentioned that two other classes will also get an excavate payoff. So that is something I'm super interested in.
0: Oh, that's weird. Because there was supposed to be like the miners versus the like the good guys versus the bad guys. So I wonder where those payoff cards are going to be. Um, and actually, oh yeah, it doesn't seem
1: to match like the lore, or the flavor at all. So I think that's kind of weird. I've even heard rumors it's going to be paladin and shaman, which makes probably the least sense out of all of them. If I if I had to say about the Highlander classes, right, you've got the shamans, which are the elemental ones and the elemental mother kind of would lean into a shaman the most. So why would they be digging? And then, you know, paladins, uh, whatever. We'll, we'll see. Well, I guess lore it, doesn't matter.
0: Well, if they mix it with fool's fool's gold, which is get a random golden pirate or elemental from your class, that's one of the new treasures. So there's an elemental right there and you got the two new Legendary Elementals, which are basically Shaman Legendaries, then maybe that makes sense. I don't know. But, uh, so you, you've you heard rumors Paladin and Shaman, but Hunter is still in the mix right now, as far as we know. So you must be kind of a little excited, maybe hope, hopeful. No?
1: Um, I would describe it as cautiously optimistic, but I don't know if I could even go that far because I kind of believe the rumors that it's Paladin and Shaman. So I'm more just like, uh, sad and <laughs> hoping against hope that Hunter will actually be featured in. Uh, that is because that would be really awesome to have you know the extra facet of playability added to the class, but uh, otherwise, it is what it is. There's some reveals coming soon that I'm excited about, so we'll find out on Monday the 15th what uh Hunter and uh the dual class cards for Hunter are going to look like.
0: Do we know who's revealing the Hunter? cards
1: i uh, probably do but i don't know off the top of my head Fair i didn't enough. check
0: so i have two cards that i'm i have one card i'm excited about and one card i'm curious about i'm excited about hidden gem this is a two mana two two stealth it is a what is it uh it's a priest and a is that death knight do priest you know rogue i believe a oh, priest rogue okay uh I, that makes sense with the stealth at the end of your turn, restore to health to all friendly characters. I think this might slot into a Naga Priest or a, another kind of or maybe even an Overheal Priest where it just you can cut, hopefully keep it stealth and have them hit your, your Clergy and whatever other Overheal cards you have. So I think there's some potential there. Maybe I'm wrong, but it, it feels pretty good. Or at least it looks like it feels pretty good. And then the mm-hmm. other one I'm interested in is Shadestone Skulker, which is a one-mana 1-1. One, one, one. Rush... Battlecry, take your weapon and gain its stats. Death rattle, give it back. So I'm curious if it gives it back as it was, if it gives it back to you new, if this main dies. Well, I mean, I guess the durability won't matter because it's going to give it back. Um, and if it dies, there would be no durability. So that wouldn't make any sense. But I'm curious how this is going to work. And that just seems kind of like a, a fun card.
1: Yeah, um, it's that one's interesting. I agree with you that the... Uh, Overheal synergy card could probably be quite good in some existing priest strategies like Naga Priest or Overheal Priest, of course. Um, that looks like a powerful card. It also doesn't lose its stealth and has a permanent effect that continues. Uh, you'd only lose its stealth if you attacked with it or, you know, obviously got removed from some unconditional AoE or something. So you could do some pretty powerful things with that card. As far as the weapon card, you know, the Russian take the stats of your weapon and give it back. From what I understand, I expected that card would be, just to give an example, let's say you have a 2-2 two, two weapon equipped. Um, I believe that the minion would then get plus 2, plus 2 to its base stats. And once it died, you would just have your 2-2 two, two weapon back equipped in your hand, or equipped on the board. Um, exactly as it was, regardless of like the minion losing stats or anything else like that. It wouldn't work in the way that Remordia works. It would work um, just, it says says give it back, so it's like it's borrowing the weapon to boost itself, and then once it dies, you just get your weapon back in whatever state it was when it was taken. That's what I gather based on the wording. I don't know for sure, um, but that's been the theory from others that I've heard as well.
0: Fair enough. And this is a Demon Hunter Rogue. And when I instantly see this, I think, hey, Weapon Rogue. Hey, clear that big taunt minion in your way. Get that weapon back. Hit him in the face. I don't know. It could be fun. Yeah. All right. So um, I think that we're not going to go over the entire mini set. Like I said, thank you, Ben Heestone, who put up the very nice graphics that we get to use. It makes our lives as podcasters much easier. And. Uh, You know, if you're looking for a more in-depth analysis of the mini set, I recommend Blizzlet and Squelch who always deep dive into these episodes. And um, if I'm being serious, you probably want to check out uh, Dr. 3 because I know they'll go into it. And I think that's it. Um, So let's go ahead and move on to our next topic. So I put out to the bread and butter Discord. I said, hey, you got any questions for our main topic, which we'll get to in a few. And we got some questions that weren't for the main topic. So I figured we'd add them as our Ask the Expert questions. And since Ron is our expert oui. here, we're going to ask you. So uh, first question, what recommendations do you have for people looking to improve their Hearthstone game? I know that's really generic and really open, but uh, let's indulge them.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot of ways. So for starters, play more games of Hearthstone. Uh, the more you play, the more familiar you get um the more you start to learn patterns of what your opponents are doing learn the meta learn how to play certain strategies and just overall improve your play but you can't just do that and expect to improve you need to go into it with a learning mindset and some kind of game plan on how you're going to improve sometimes that might mean um watching streamers and like comparing the plays that you would make to the players' plays that they're making. Ask yourself why they did that play and is it better than the play that you did? Or if you were doing the same play as them, uh, look to see if there was a play that was better and why. Watch what happened on the opponent's side and so on. Um, replays are super important. Use some kind of replay tracking software, usually something like HS Replay, Hearthstone Deck Tracker, or Firestone are great tools. Um, they'll show you your whole deck, you can play your games, they'll record the game and you can watch it afterwards and you can see you know the decisions that you made. you can see the cards that your opponent was holding and you can try to figure out why things happened the way that they did um, review like were there other plays you could have made in that spot that would have made a difference so on. Also if you are diving into replays, it is extremely helpful to have someone else take a look at them and give you feedback on what they would have done and why and so on, especially if that someone else happens to be maybe at a higher rank than you or has played more games than you, has a little bit more experience in Hearthstone, whatever the case may be. Um, And then there's also the option of going with coaching. Um, Plenty of streamers and other people in the Hearthstone community offer coaching, sometimes at reasonable rates, sometimes at... Uh, not quite as reasonable, depending on their status in the community and you know how how well they've done in uh, official events and so on. But there's always a way to find uh, someone who can kind of help you improve and figure out ways to approach the game differently to to get to whatever your goal might be. Um, just as a general question, that's sort of the the wide net that I can cast to try to cover as many quick ways uh to to look at to try to help improve yourself in your game
0: very well said i have a couple things to add if you want to learn more about breaking into your replays breaking them down listen to last week's episode where we had master store champion 2024 on and he he breaks down replays constantly on his stream so we we, that was our main topic last week um and we also had had wicked good on to talk about the same things so um go ahead listen to those and that'll help One of the suggestions Ron gave was to watch other streamers play. Watch, Oh, I say other streamers. You're all not streamers. Watch streamers play. And when you do that, if you're trying to learn, that means watching the streamer play. That doesn't mean watching TV plus the streamer play or playing Hearthstone and watching the streamer play or playing Warcraft and watching the streamer play because you're not going to really pay attention and you're not going to get that information absorbed. And you're not going to really understand what they're doing. You'll, you'll see the game and you'll follow it along and you'll be like, well, what happened in that game? You won't know. So definitely if you're going to do that, pay attention. Um, and yeah,
1: I mean like, Hey, it, it's fine to do something else while watching a streamer, but if you have a specific goal to try to learn and improve your plays, you probably want to have that undivided focus and concentration, right? Cause you know, the more divided your concentration is, the less likely you are to actually pick up, uh important information
0: and, and you want to find a streamer that you like to watch. Like if you find someone that you, you don't enjoy sitting there, then you're not going to learn really much. And if you watch somebody that sits there and doesn't talk, maybe you'll learn something, but there are plenty of good people like Ron here, like uh, wiki good, like um, maybe me, um, but other people uh, that go there. Uh, uh, no hands gamer is pretty good at this. Uh, there's a lot of streamers out there. That's really good. That'll talk through their plays you their reasoning, not always, but most of the time say, okay, I want to do this. I'm going to do this. And they'll look at chat and say, Oh, well, why didn't you do this? And it's, Oh, okay. This is why I didn't do that. Or, Hey, that would have been actually a better play. So th- there is that interaction that you keep up and you can kind of learn a little bit more. As far as the coaching goes, before I hit legend, um, I took a coaching with meaty of all people who I got for $10 because, uh, Gamer Sensei had a deal or I had a coupon or something like so. I had a one $10 lesson and I didn't feel like I learned a ton from it at that point, but it also just reinforced things that I think I already knew. And then within, I think, a month, I, I got my first legend. So uh, it was good. It was interesting. He, he You can learn a lot. So definitely find a coach. If you do Coin Conceive, we've talked about this a few times, $10 tier, you get a coaching every month with one of the one of the hosts there. So definitely a valid thing. Ron, we're going to move on to the question number two. How do you approach kay. building a lineup for tournament play, if it's THL or any other tournament? Um, th- well,
1: they I kind of have to view them separately, uh, at least as far as like THL compared to other tournaments, because THL is a a week by week thing, so you're not all-in on a lineup uh, for THL. You can take a flyer on a lineup on one week, it doesn't work out, and then the next week you bring something totally different. uh, And, you know, it it doesn't sink you. For any other type of tournament, you know, that's going multiple rounds with an uh, eventual champion, you really want to hone in on a lineup that you feel really confident about taking all the way through because you don't get a chance to change it at any other intervals during the course of the tournament. Now, that being said, uh, when it comes to trying to design the lineup itself, I think it comes down to uh, a few different paths you can go for. Uh, there are people that try to target things, they identify what the expected field is. If there's a specific, like, really popular prevailing deck or archetype, they want to identify multiple decks that have a favorable matchup against that one thing. And go after it hard and say, most people are going to bring this deck, I'm going to have an entire lineup that beats this deck, and therefore um, I will win every match. Because it doesn't matter if there other decks beat my decks, this one deck won't, and I'll win. Um, that's one way, and it's a perfectly valid strategy, especially if you have a good read on the meta, and you think that there is that one specific thing that is getting brought by a majority of the field. Obviously, it has some very clear drawbacks like what if they don't bring it or what if your round one or two or three opponent didn't bring that deck that you targeted and your whole plan falls apart. Um, So it's a bit riskier, but it has some pretty big payoffs uh there's a way that you can kind of lean into something different where you sort of soft target a particular archetype or type of strategy like maybe aggro combo or control and you say i'm gonna have four decks that are good against control or good against aggro or good against combo because there's one specific style that is common in this field and i think i can target that um Target lineups by their nature are dangerous because when you don't hit your target, you usually crumble because your decks aren't usually all around strong against every other thing. Uh, My personal favorite way to build a deck is just to kind of go with, uh, for lack of a better word, what I would call the good stuff. Um, You know, there's usually a tier one, tier two of decks across the board in every meta. And you can usually get by extremely well if you build a lineup that is just consisting of Tier 1 and Tier 2 decks. Uh, Then you maybe want to lean in more to things that you're a bit more comfortable on. You have more reps on those decks, so you're more familiar playing even when it might not be a favorable matchup for you. You're like, oh, well, I've played this enough times to know that I can win some unfavorables. And then it also comes down to tweaking the archetypes that you're bringing a little bit and sometimes featuring a tech card or two that improves your percentage in a matchup that you don't want to face or one that you know is going to be kind of bad for you or bad for that deck. You have to be very careful with that, and that's something usually more established pros are doing. You see it a lot in Masters Tours and at Worlds, for instance, where, oh, hey, that's a surprising card. Why is that in there? Well, it's for some specific things, and it makes the deck overall worse against the field, but it makes the deck much better against a specific thing that the player anticipates. So maybe you lose 3 to 5% in your other matchups, but you gain 10% in the bad matchup, and it goes from being something Something that's really bad to even maybe slightly favored, maybe slightly unfavorable for you. But there's a lot of different ways that you can go about it. The best advice I could give is don't get too fancy. Just bring things that you're comfortable with and that are good. And that have usually a reasonable matchup spread against most of what exists in the meta in tier 1 and tier 2. And you'll be fine.
0: Well said, and um, I don't think there's too much more to add there. I will say that I, there's not uh, there's nothing to add there. Let me add something. Um, what, what you <laughs> said is exactly perfect. Like, if you have a deck that you're really comfortable with and you say, well, no, instead I'll take Nature Shaman, which I've played twice. Bad idea. Because even if that's a better deck, you have no idea how to play it, and you're just not going to be comfortable with it, and you're going to make a lot more mistakes. Uh, one question on... We didn't talk about a little bit, but does it make more sense to diversify your archetypes when you're building a lineup or does it make more sense to kind of go on in one or does it not matter?
1: Um, it's like with uh, so many things, it's context based. So it could be it could be something that makes absolutely no difference because the meta is a certain way. It could be something that makes a huge amount of difference because the meta is a different way. So it does require a good understanding of what kind of meta we're currently in, what types of decks are popular and are consistently winning at the higher tiers of play. And fortunately for us, there are multiple websites that kind of aggregate data and make things a lot easier for us to figure that out. Things like HS Replay, things like Vicious Syndicate, and they'll break down a whole bunch of different archetypes Uh, Vicious Syndicate even does write-ups about the meta and gives you decks and lists and all these different things just incredible amount of tools at your disposal to kind of figure out full matchup spreads archetypes against each other and assess okay what are the things performing the best what are most likely things that other people are going to bring is there a way that i can target those things if not is there a way that i can kind of give myself the best possible chance of either breaking even or beating those things and then having you know the the other types of decks that give me an edge um so it it varies dramatically because with each new card or cards i guess because it's many sets and expansions that get released uh the meta changes with each new set of balance changes nerfs and buffs the meta changes again even the smallest little change can have a huge impact and all of a sudden you're in a brand new meta where what was garbage before is all of a sudden incredible or vice versa
0: fair enough so how do you deal with ladder anxiety you're always in the top 100 you're always you know messing around and playing all the the top players how do you is are you used to it is are you numb to it how do you how do you handle that anxiety um it was something that used to affect me
1: uh where I wouldn't really want to queue up a game because I'd be worried about what if I lose, and my rank was important to me, so if I lose, then my rank will go lower and then I'll be upset so it comes down to just understanding how you're feeling about that and Figuring out what's ultimately more important to you, and if you do want to win and climb in the ladder, it is impossible to climb if you don't play a game. It is impossible to improve your rank if you don't play anymore. So, trying to shift mindset from a negative one to a positive one is really helpful. Uh, instead of "what if I lose?" "What if I win?" You know, um, that's a great thing to to tell yourself, uh, and then just Hopefully, it follows through. But if you are having a lot of anxiety about it, then it's probably a good time to say, I should walk away. I should take a break right now until I'm feeling a little bit better and more positive about queuing up a game. The game is intended to be fun at the end of the day. And what are your goals? Um, Why is Ladder causing you anxiety when you're about to queue up a game? If you can examine that, and understand why you're feeling the way that you're feeling, and then break that down and try to figure out what your goals are and you know how it connects with your gameplay experience, it becomes easier and easier to overcome. And of course, the more you do it, the more it goes away. And now I'm almost like automatically clicking the play button after a game ends, whether or not I won or lost. Sometimes even faster if I lost because I want to shake off the memory of the loss and and get a win instead, you know. But uh, it just, with time, it sort of dissipates. But I I would never say that it goes away completely if you're a competitive person and you care about your rank. But if you can retrain your mind to think more about uh, the positive outcomes rather than the negative outcomes, the anxiety starts to dissipate.
0: Great answer. I used to, so when I used to get the legend, I used to then s- relax and then I would just play meme decks. So I say, okay, I made it here and I didn't, I didn't take it seriously because I made it to the legend. I'm good. You know? And then around the time where I started the podcast and started to stream, I, I wanted to improve. I wanted to make that number better. Uh, and I wanted to do better and I, I wasn't. I didn't have the games. I didn't have the reps in there at that high level. So, well, what would happen was my rank. I would lose a lot. Lose a decent amount, and then I'd start playing people in diamond, even though I was in legend, and that felt bad. And not that there's anything wrong with that. You're still in legend. You still made it there. But it definitely doesn't feel great when you're like, oh, I'm, I keep. I'm not playing anybody in legend, even though I'm in legend. So that started to bother me, and, and I, I was talking about this in you know various discords, and uh, the, the advice was just play games. You. you just keep yep. playing and eventually you'll figure it out. And that's what happens. And sometimes it, as, as you know, the last couple months I've struggled and yeah, I'll figure it out. I know I'll figure it out. And that's to have the confidence. If you make it there, if you feel like you made it there once, there was a fluke. It wasn't a fluke. You made it there. You put the games in, you won. And even if it was one particular, particular deck, it's okay. You know, you can do it now. And if you know, you can do it now, you can know you can do it again. And, and knowing that you have to remember that, keep that in your brain. And then if, whether it's making it to legend, whether it's making a diamond five diamond 10, whether it's to make it to top thousand legend, top 50, whatever it is, if you just have that, you know, you've done it, you can do it again, or just small goals, incremental goals. And, and you'll get there.
1: Yeah. I think it's really funny that you uh, mentioned that people were saying, Oh, just play more games. Um, cause just do it is hilariously to me simultaneously like uh completely unhelpful and terrible advice and at the same time like great advice you know cuz uh it, it it doesn't help anything it doesn't really mean or or do anything you can't just say just do it and have someone just go ahead and and like accomplish something that they were struggling to accomplish but even as simple as something like uh getting into streaming consistently i remember uh, I struggled with streaming on a regular basis. I like, couldn't pin down, like getting myself to do it day after day. And I remember stopping by a different streamers stream and asking them, I was like, how do you do it? How are you so consistent? And they're like, well, you just do it. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you, just, you just keep doing it. So like today I'm going to stream and tomorrow I'm going to stream and the next day I'm going to stream and it's not negotiable. So I just do that. And I was like, Okay. So I should do that too. And then I did. And then it worked. Um, but yeah, I, I understand the, the, the comedy in just saying like, oh, just do this like it's easy. Because um, it can be the complete opposite of easy. But if you can, you know, kind of convince yourself to get in that sort of pattern where this is something that I want, therefore I'm going to do it. Uh, and I don't mean winning games cause sometimes that's impossible, but I mean, queuing games, I mean, learning from your games, I mean, uh, developing your skills. Those are things that you have control over and you can, um, you can follow through on if you commit to it. Uh, those are things that I would recommend saying I'm going to win X games, not helpful. Saying I'm going to play X games and I'm going to try to take away X amount of things from these games that I will act upon later. That's helpful.
0: I had the exact opposite problem you did with streaming. I don't. I stream too much because I don't (laughs) like. I want to do other content. I I want to you know watch some TV shows and stuff like that. But what usually happens is nine o'clock comes around. And I just pushed the go live button because I'm going to play. So might as well you know, talk to whoever hangs out. And I, I I saw my stats. It was like something like we went this, the, twi- the Twitch rap came out mid December, I think. And I already had like 340 nights streamed. And I was like, wow. Um, So like I had the opposite there. But I, it, this is we are weird in the way that we consume so much different Hearthstone content like Ronda's a podcast with, that talks about card games. I have a podcast that talks about card games. I listen to four different podcasts most weeks that talk about Hearthstone, not including the one that I record. I listen to Blizzlet, which isn't really about Hearthstone. Squelch, which isn't really about Hearthstone, but, you know, they touch on it. Point Concede and Vicious Syndicate Report. I love listening to the Vicious Syndicate Report because I feel like it really kind of, even if you don't all agree with everything Zacco says, it really kind of centers you on what the things happening are and maybe what might be coming. So that's where I picked up some decks that I've really taken taken off with because I, oh, this is going to change. And when this happens, then it's going to open up the door for, when when these nerfs happen, or if this gets changed, it's going to open up the door for this deck or that deck. And that's what, when I, I had to run a Shadow Priest where I got my highest rank finish ever or whatever it was. And it was because I grabbed that Shadow Priest that I was playing Habu-Gabu Shaman, I believe. And that was being nerfed. And I had my coaching with Wikigood. And I said, "Okay, I don't want to play something that's good right now. What's where's the ball going to be? I want to get to where the ball is going to be. What's going to be good next week? And it's supposed to be. uh, Shadow Priest. And so we worked on that. And then as soon as that patch hit, I was just winning, 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 winning in a way that I never have because I I I consume content and I'm in discords and all that. So there's a ton of way to learn. And the best way, though, is like they said, play a lot of games. It's what what is the saying? I, I think we've said this a few times. Uh, bad players go face. Good players trade. Great players go face. Uh, <laughs> you know, just, yeah, I like it. just go. So, anyway, we have one more ask the expert question. This is this probably the most important? What hair products do you use? <laughs> Yeah, uh,
1: I uh, I actually get this question a lot. Um, it's kind of funny. Uh, I will say that um, you know I don't do anything really all that special. It's just Head and Shoulders, you know. It, it's not like uh, some kind of special hair product. You know, it's just off the shelf. But there is one important aspect of it, which is don't use two in one. Two in one sucks. Uh, I, I hate using two in one type of like shampoo plus conditioner, use a shampoo and a separate conditioner. It it's worth it.
0: All right. There you have it. So now for our main topic. So about two weeks ago, I played you in THL and we had some matchups. You rolled me Oh three. Um, I thought I played good in at least one of the games, but the other two, I think you kind of rolled me. Um, and one of the things was one of the great things about it was you came into my stream afterwards and we broke down the games. And one mm-hmm. of the games I played was, I, I forget what you were playing, but I was playing Naga priest and you were playing visit tree and druid or something like that. You were playing tree and druid. It was Stranger, yeah. And, and I had played with the mindset of, okay, let me keep them off the board. And then I can get to my like, am turns. I can get to my, uh, thirsty drifter turns and, you know, duplicate them. And that was my plan. And you, when we got there, you said, why didn't you just, like, aggro and, and get there and go? And actually, I did that in one of my games this week, and it really felt nice. But um, it, it got me thinking, like, sometimes figuring out how to approach a matchup is very difficult. And we kind of have three different, arch- three different kind of rock, paper, scissors, right? Typically, aggro beats combo, combo beats control, control beats aggro. And it's not always the case. Sometimes a particular combo deck can ha- pop off before the aggro can happen and whatever, but that's generally the rule, right? So how do you if you're if you're not in one of those situations, if you're like you're on the downside of those situations, um control versus combo, combo versus aggro, whatever, how do you change your line of line of thinking if you're in one of those in favorite scenarios in order to win? So um
1: like with most things, you might hate hearing me say this again, but it's, <laughs> a, it's always context-based. Uh, every time, it's just extremely context-based for what's happening in the game. What is the context of your hand? Uh, what can you gather information-wise about what your opponent might be holding based on how they played so far? What's the board state look like? What have they done on turns one through three, four, five, whatever it might be uh, in the early game as you're trying to figure out you know what approach you're taking? Um, there's so much that determines how you play just based on the context of your hand alone, but also as soon as you identify the archetype that they are, know the archetype that you are, know the type of matchup that it is, and you can start to understand, um, yeah, I don't, I I don't think you should get too hung up on am I favored, am I unfavored, or anything like that, because Hearthstone is such a fluid game that, um, if you get caught up on one thing or another, like you think that, oh, I'm favored, so I'm supposed to win, you can start making mistakes and then you lose the game. Uh, or you think, I'm unfavored, so I never win the game. Well, your negative mindset might lead you to uh, play sort of carelessly because you think, oh, well, I was never going to win anyway. And then you miss some opportunities that presented themselves. So try to throw that out uh, as, as much as you can, except for allowing it to inform your decisions of how to approach the matchup and try to exploit the moments, um, I guess, windows of opportunity that you might be presented within the game. It usually involves tempo. Like with most Hearthstone games, tempo is super important. Um, Maybe you have a 2-mana tutu that does something later, but you don't have anything to do with your 2-mana right now. Get the stats on the board. Stats are good. Stats hit them in the face. When you hit them in the face, they eventually explode. You know, simple concepts, but so many people forego that thing because they want maximum value out of, you know, what this card does or so on. Sometimes that's really important. Sometimes it's not if you're in a matchup against say an aggressive deck the aggressive deck might have a really bad hand and they're going really slowly and you're a combo deck that's probably most of the time going to lose to this aggro deck you don't need to hold back all of these resources that do that fun fancy special combo thing come like turn eight or nine to win the game you can just start jamming those combo pieces on the board now because if you do when they're slow all of a sudden that's three damage that hit when you would have saved it and then it does it again and then it does it again because they were slow and all of a sudden you have a huge advantage where you otherwise wouldn't have um multiple different things like that sometimes you're the control deck and you start playing aggro sometimes you're the aggro deck and you start playing control and it involves identifying the moments in the game where it becomes apparent who is doing what. Um, because the game is so fluid that, especially in today's Hearthstone and how it's evolved, a type of deck, an archetype, is never really purely that type anymore. Um, even a card like Astelor, right? That's, uh, that's a card run in almost every deck. Aggro decks run it, but it's five armor gain. Uh come turn 8, you know, maybe your agro deck needs to play control now and gain that armor. Uh maybe that's something you need to set up. You know, uh on the flip side it's 14 damage and uh on the turn 10 with the 8 man asolor maybe you need to go for that as your win condition and play specifically towards that and push a little bit of extra damage so that 14 damage will kill them before they do their power thing that you know is coming. So context always context uh it can be hard to assess sometimes when is your moment um and there are a lot of turns that people will often refer to as like swing turns where basically you're behind they have the board they have the aggression but you have a card or sequence of cards that completely flips it around now their board is gone now you have a board now you're in control uh those types of things Will shift the focus of your game.
0: Yeah, uh, that made a big difference for me when I started to play cards, even if I didn't get the value that I was hoping for them. I started off watching a little too much Trump SC, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, so you play that Aslr for two. If you eh, obviously, if you have a better play, don't play Aslr for two. But if you're sitting there and like, oh, I have a three mana card, a four mana card, I have Aslr for two, that play it. And that's a problem that I've run into even as you're learning these decks. So this this bit me two days ago in my THL match where I had a couple games of Nature Shaman. And I love Nature Shaman. It's a fun deck. It's complicated. And what would happen is I wouldn't get... I didn't get a good read on the matchup. So instead of realizing, hey, even though these are combo pieces like the uh, Hounds or the, um, the the Spirit Wolves, the the... The one mana, two, three, the zappy boy, whatever. And even the mm-hmm. combo pieces, I needed to play them earlier because by the time I said, oh, I need to get defensive, it was too late. Because normally I, I know you, you keep these cards, you you play a flash of lightning, you have a big flashy turn, and, and they're dead. And, and sometimes a, and that's always a puzzle and it's fun and I try to get there. But if you're dead, you can't get there. So. Excellent point. So, and. You can't and win a, if you're dead. Can't win if you're dead, and that's something I struggle with a lot still. And one one thing I've noticed about that too, so when you start playing a new deck, you start off. Sometimes you start off hot, right? Because it's like it's intuitive how you play it, right? You say, okay, I do this, that, and mm-hmm. the other. But then once you start getting the reps, you start remembering the cute little things you did, and you start remembering this. I have I can't tell you how many times I've had had a deck where I started seven and zero, and then by the end of the night, I'm ten and ten, because. As I get more comfortable with it, I start saying, Oh, I'm gonna do this plus this, or I oh, I'll wait for that and all that. And and you gotta go back to like there's no just play the deck the way it's meant to be played. And and sometimes 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 playing the deck too much, you go the wrong way, I think. I don't know if you've ever experienced that.
1: Oh yeah, that's a great point. Um, I feel like it happens a lot in poker, interestingly, uh, which is also another card game that uh I've played a lot of and I really enjoy. Um I remember going through like stretches where you know I would I'd get really interested in it. You know, I'd I'd maybe read some books on fundamentals and you know some strategy and how to play correctly and all this stuff. And then I would play really, really sound and I would do well. And then I would do so well for so long that I'd start to identify some like sneaky cute little things that I could do in in the games and it would often involve playing a little bit looser and, uh, you know, maybe calling with a, a more speculative hand and all of a sudden uh, I'm starting to bleed off chips and now I'm losing more than I otherwise was. I'm like, wait, but I had more reps. I got better. Well, sometimes when you get better and you get more reps... Uh, it starts to erode at your decision making because you start to gain some maybe unfounded confidence or you made a play that paid off in one particular incident but you didn't really identify that the reason it paid off was because you maybe got a little bit lucky or uh, you thought that that play was the difference maker when in actuality you were winning anyway and that play decreased your percentages but you didn't see it because of small sample size so when you did it again you lost and then you're like wait why am I losing there's lots of different reasons why that could happen Um, so sometimes it just means go Back to the basics, you know, uh follow through on the fundamentals and don't get sloppy. And then you wind up cleaning up your game and you don't lose as many.
0: That's fair. And that's what I keep doing. Is every time I kind of want to reset myself, I go, I'm going back to Paladin, and people keep joking that I'm a paladin main, I'm not. But um for the light. Yeah, it, it's just you gotta you gotta sometimes reset, step away. So sometimes even just getting up, going to the fridge, getting yourself a drink, getting yourself a snack, coming back is enough to kind of just reset yourself and and just think, mm-hmm. hey, why why am I losing now when I was winning before? And and just try to get you know evaluate it, look at the replays like we've talked about. So the situational things we've talked about, like hey, um, how are the, how are things playing out? Wins, what, what what do I? This comes with playing playing games, playing games against all these cards, but. I know the swing turn's coming, so if I do this, X, Y, and Z. What about something like aggro versus aggro? Like, that doesn't necessarily... I mean, that obviously, if the game goes long, which it could, mm-hmm. then you have more of those situations, but when do you decide, hey, right off the bat, like, I need to go all-in right now because I know that, you know, the Naga Priest is going to do much better with the cards I have versus waiting for the drew to do his thing or, or trying to keep them off the board, like like what happened. Like in a game like that, like when do you decide like, hey, my aggro is more aggroier than their aggro or whatever it might be?
1: <laughs> well, first it probably depends on, you know, your analysis of what the archetypes are going into it and maybe which one is more favored and why. Um, if it's like a pure coin flip or something and it's just like, hey, this aggro deck versus this aggro deck, or it's a mirror match, so you're the same deck essentially, uh, then it kind of comes down more to uh your hand and the board state and what you're able to do. Uh, planning to set up for swing turns so that all of a sudden you have the initiative, or just playing hard for initiative as much as possible, um, especially if you happen to be going first. So the difference between going first and going second, uh, where someone's on the coin, is often really, really important in Hearthstone, and, and sometimes gets overlooked with how important it is. But more often than not, the player who goes first wins the game in Hearthstone. Um, that's, uh, that's been a truism since 2014 and it's not as simple as that, but the person going first typically has the advantage. If you're the aggro deck, you're going first and you have a turn one play and you have a turn two play and so on then you're probably going to be the more aggro deck than your opponent, which means your opponent who's going second is going to sort of have to play more of the control aspect of the match where they're looking to identify a turn to maximize the effectiveness of the coin to swing the board state back in their favor. So all of a sudden they can take the initiative from you Uh, and then back and forth you go battling based on your draws and the composition of your hand and how the board is going. Um, There's a lot of different things to to try to figure out as the match continually changes because uh, the difference between you winning and losing might be just that one top deck that happened. Uh, Oh, I really need them to not have this card. You know, this particular card. And that's an interesting point that you brought up. Like, when do you play around it or something? Uh, And I I think that's going to be pretty much, I don't know, It depends on how many cards they have in hand, how likely it is that they have that one thing that you're afraid of that beats you. Uh, And if you have any other plays that are maybe close in power level to your best play that are better against their theoretical best play, that's a card you know that they have that could wreck you. And if it completely destroys all of your plays, don't try to play around it. Just go for it. It's time to go all in. Uh, if they have it, they have it. Unlucky, you lose if they have it. But if you try to play around it when you kind of can't, you wind up just losing a lot of percentages. Um, because all of the times that they don't have it, they beat you anyway because of the threat of them maybe having it. Well, if that makes sense.
0: It does, but here's the problem. It's it's mental. It's if you've lost to that several times, it then becomes they always have it in your brain. Mm, yeah. So yeah. Oh for, yeah. For example, for me, um, playing Paladin, I know how many times I played against uh, Death Knight, where I, I've I've played uh, my minion and I've put a couple Gardens Graces on it, and I played down this, and I swung in their face, and they're down to like ten, and then here comes Reska, and there goes my minion. Yep. And and yep. and. There's times where I'm like, oh, my God, I did it again. But it's, it's really hard to, to find that line of when do I g- go all in and when do I when do I not? And then another question I have. OK, this is a little jumping ahead. But what about one thing I always struggle with? Because, again, it's mental. But a mm-hmm. lot of times, like you go in, you'd be like you, you do the math. You got ah, we got eight on board. You got three on the weapon. You got this. And then you're like 17. They have 19 health. I can get them down to two. And then you get them down to two, and then they clear your board, heal up, play Reno, whatever it might be. And then you're like, well, crap. Like, how often, like, when, how, how do you make the decisions in the same thing where it's like, and I, I, we're probably going to be talking about the same things over and over again, but should I have gone all in and got them down to two, or should I have waited until I had the opportunity? Because that opportunity might not have come back to get lethal. But if I get the lethal on the turn, then they can't come back. So how do you kind right. of. How do you kind of that, that's something I always struggle with is like, when do I go in even if they're going to not die that turn or when do I hold it till I get another piece that's going to help me get there?
1: So there's a bit of a trap in um, second guessing yourself on games that look like they were winnable because they were really close to being winnable but they were actually never winnable at all and it's something that happens a lot with control decks with decks like highlander druid for instance um that uh can full heal in one fell swoop burst thing uh there's lots of different things like blood dk of course is another good example um They maybe run two Vampiric Bloods, right? And you set them to one health and then they spend four mana and they just gain 20. Oops, GG. Uh, They were holding that card. They were always holding that card. You weren't beating that card. But because you got them to one health, it looked like maybe you were beating them. But you didn't have all of that damage. You had all of that damage minus one. Uh, And they were going to play that card at the opportune moment. So... Sometimes it really is a matter of I have to just send it and hope that I get there. And other times it's, well, I shouldn't send all of this damage that's almost lethal because the deck that I'm facing is known to run a lot of heal, armor, stabilization, whatever it might be. So set them to two, set them to one or something. Those are not things that are created equal in every matchup, if that makes sense. Like... If you're facing a rogue, set them to two, set them to one might be a really good plan. If you're facing a priest, set them to two, set them to one is like, well, now you spent all your resources and here comes the board clear plus the heal. And now what do you do? So uh, you need to be able to assess your matchup and know when it's the right time to try to push for that in the matchup. And sometimes you just have to do it and hope that they don't have the thing. Uh, and there's always a thing you know that you need your opponent to not have in order to win the game in in certain examples like that, and you need to be able to understand the moments where I'm never winning if they have this, or my best place statistically is still to go in for this line because it almost wins or gives me the best chance of winning over the next couple turns um And if they happen to have this one really good card that beats me, then this was probably just one of those games that I was destined to not actually ever win. It gets a lot more frustrating looking when it's against a deck like a a control deck that runs so much uh, stabilization tools and healing and armor because your losses feel so much closer and like oh if i had just done this one thing differently i could have won and to some extent that's true and you should study your replays and make sure that you didn't miss some damage along the way that maybe made the difference but otherwise it's just like hey that just happens sometimes so if there's a particular card what turn is it How many cards do they have in their hand? How many cards do they have in their deck? Do they run just one copy or two copies? What's the percentage likelihood that they're holding it right now? If you have a deck tracker, it should show you how long that card has been in their hand for. Uh, Like if there's a particular card, have they been holding this one card since like turn one that they've never played and it's turn ten? Might be that card that you're afraid of. Play around it as best that you can. But they're probably waiting for that specific moment to drop that card that you know that they have, and you play around it until you can't. Basically,
0: it's fair. Um, so we've we've touched on this a bit, and we said everything's situational. Read the cards. Read how the game's going. So certain decks, and a lot of, actually, a lot of decks, you have a game plan. You have uh, this is my winning condition. This is my plan A. Maybe this is my plan B. Right? Like so, agro paladin is. Uh, get minions on board uh buff them up and then my plan b is contest right so sometimes it might be easier to you might deviate from your main 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 um plan earlier on like hey i'm gonna do this that but when do you think when do you evaluate well yeah i could do this but then that gets away from my game plan and if i would have stuck to my game plan maybe i would have won but i i reacted a little too quickly, or maybe I reacted poorly. Cause I thought that I got a read on the the situation. Mm-hmm. If I would have done this, it would have been great. Like, Oh, like I coined out, um, I coined out the, uh, boogie down and then I played another boogie down and then it was just clean the scene or something like that. Like, when do you kind of try to stick to your normal game plan? And again, it's probably going to be the same thing where we're talking about. It. It's just situational, but like, do you, do you evaluate that? Like say, Hey, I might do this, but it's not how my deck's supposed to work. um,
1: as far as like evaluating the plays, it happens every single turn with every consecutive draw. So, uh, I might have had a turn one plan, but then I top decked a one mana card, and now I need to reevaluate. Am I playing this thing that I have in my hand? Am I coining out the two mana card that I have in my hand? Or am I just playing the one mana card that I just top decked? Just as, uh, an easy, immediate example of that. But every single turn when you draw a new card to start your turn, you're going to look at that card and reevaluate how that is compared to the plan that you probably already made with what you think you were going to do based on the mana you had. And you formulate the best plan that you can with the limited information you have and the limited resources you have in your hand. And you're going to have to figure out basically what's the... Essentially, most Hearthstone turns are what's the strongest possible thing that I can do right now, especially if you're playing uh, an initiative-focused, proactive deck. Reactive decks are often different, which makes it weird a lot of times uh, if you have like a particular style that you're leaning into uh, and you're deviating from that style. The, the more reactive decks are often what's the best way that I can use... The smallest amount of resources to manage the pressure that's coming and save some of my best removal tools or best um, answers for a specific type of problem or question that the opponent is going to present in a future turn. Um, So it, like like I keep saying, it's context-based. Once again, it, it'll it vary so much. It'll vary based on even just like, oh, what if you drew a card that draws you a card? Well, now you have to reevaluate some more because that card you might need to play in order to draw towards some specific things you have in your deck. And now it might become a statistical question of what's the percentage likelihood that I draw this particular card and knowing how good it is in this situation compared to the other cards that I have that I could use Should I go for that draw or should I go for the plays that I already have? And it just compounds on its complexity the more and more uh, you play and the deeper you get into the game and the game state and what the board looks like, what your matchup is, and so on.
0: Fair enough. And that's where I think that's where the the jump from a good player to a great player is. And I haven't quite made that jump yet. But it's where it's, it's knowing how to evaluate those things better. And just figuring out just how to play better. It sounds simple, right? But you play a card and then you draw a card, actually tap first, make a decision, have a plan, look two or three turns ahead, but be ready to shift if the situation dictates it.
1: Yes. So probably one of the best advice I can give um, is be flexible. Like, don't commit to one singular thing so hard that you were unwilling to deviate from that plan if you were presented with some new information that might change the the optimal strategy in some way. You know, I would love to play my cards on curve and have everything go perfectly according to how the deck is supposed to go and just run over my opponent and win. But my opponent is also trying to win and they're doing things on the other side and... Some of the things they do make my specific game plan not as good. A lot of times they might have done that specifically because they know what deck you're playing and what archetype it is and what your common play is going to be on turn 3 or 4 or 5. Like, oh, they're going to play this card. Well, I have this card in my hand that is better against that specific card for the specific turn. So you could blindly jam it anyway. Maybe you have to because it's your only play. But if you have other plays and they happen to be better against what your opponent just did or which you anticipate your opponent is going to do next because you know what deck they're playing and you know what their most common play is going to be on turn 4 or 5 or something, you can play something different from your expected game plan to disrupt theirs. And that enters into a, a difficult gray area because... The more you do that, the worse your fundamental play will get. Um, So you have to have a really deep understanding of what they're doing and what's expected and how this is going to impact your game plan before you start doing something like that. So if you're a beginner, if you're getting used to it, just stick with the straightforward game plan and then start to analyze those replays and try to figure out what if I did this, what would have happened instead? and then you can figure out a better game plan to combat that the next time you see it, try it and see if it goes better for you. Um, but yeah, uh, like all things, context, context, context. <laughs> and,
0: and you can't necessarily, especially if you're playing like control or something, you can't necessarily work, play around everything. Like one thing that I know, Drives me crazy, but I I play if I'm playing against a control priests, I'll play around, clean the scene. I'll get like, oh, they had, they don't they can't have an infused clean the scene. Everything's over four health. I'm good. And then they play dissonant pop, or then they play cannibalize. Like, oh, well, I guess I didn't think about that, or or whatever. But you can't you you can't play against everything. So you might want to play. You pick something to play against, play play around, but you you can't do it all. So you accept that and 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 do the best you can. Uh, so. How stat based are you? Like when well, when I when you get your Mulligan draw, right? I'll, you can click on HS just replay. You can see what the Mulligan stats are in this matchup. Blah blah blah. Let's say you have a card like you know a card like a Hand of a Doll. It, you're playing you're playing Paladin and you have Hand of a Doll. You have a a soldier a Sanguine Soldier and you have Boogie Down. Hand of a Doll feels really good in that curve, but the Mulligan stats say it's only a forty seven percent keep rate or something like that. When do you trust the cards in your hand in like your curve or or your early plans versus the stats that say don't do that get your better cards
1: well uh for one thing in general if you have like a a game plan that easily can be formulated just based on the cards you have in your opening hand it's usually a good idea to just keep those cards cards are not like evaluated in a vacuum and a hand of a doll uh In your opening hand, if you're, let's say, going first and you don't have any one-drops, you throw away two cards and you keep Hand of a Doll, that's probably a bad idea. You might not find a one-drop, and then you have no play on turn one, and then Hand of a Doll can't target anything on turn two when you feel really bad. But When you have like a Divine Shield target that's hard to remove on turn one that you can then buff with that card, and then it leads into your turn three curve as well, that's really good. So uh, there are cards that you often would only keep together. For instance, like Stick Up is a great example in Rogue with Velarok. You don't keep Stick Up in the Mulligan, but if you're holding Velarok, you absolutely keep Stick Up in the Mulligan. Um, so things change just based on context. Also, I would like to point out that uh, in that specific example you mentioned, like Hand of it All, well, oh, it's only like a 46% keep. Well, there's a reason it's 46 and not zero, because people keep it when they have you know, Righteous Protector or uh, Sanguine Soldier in their opening hand and hand of it all. It's like, yeah, that's where that 46% is coming from. Uh, they're keeping it because, hey, this is really good to keep in this specific situation. So the the lower the Mulligan stats are on a thing, the you should pay attention to it, the less likely you are to keep it. But if the Mulligan stats on something are not at 0%, that means there's probably at least one situation where it would make some level of sense to actually keep that in your hand, regardless of how rare it is that you would actually keep it. So, uh, are you going to hate me when I say it's the con- mulligan is <laughs> context-based?
0: <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, and and that, playing Nature <laughs> Shaman, we, we run into this a lot, and just I mean, obviously any deck, but I, I just remember it's like, when do you keep uh, Golganeth? When do you keep Inza? When do you keep Oh always. <laughs> Go as always. Fair enough. <laughs> That's
1: an easy one. 100 percent of the time. Don't throw that card back. The card wins games.
0: Right. But like like Flowrider. You never keep Flowrider unless you have ancestral knowledge. Then you definitely keep Flowrider.
1: I'd keep Flowrider with uh, the one mana three two as well. Okay. You can play the one mana three two on turn one, play Flow Rider on turn two. You're overloaded by one mana crystal on turn two, but you have one mana crystal and you have the active two one to discover spell. That's good.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. And that's probably why.
1: But, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's a that's a specific context-based decision where you normally aren't keeping the 3-2 or the 2-1. Um, but if you have both of them in your hand, that's... A one-mana 3-2 is also really good tempo. Uh, that maybe doesn't die, especially if you're going first. And now it's three damage to their face on turn one. Or right. turn two, I guess. And yep. what if it sticks for longer? More damage. Your, your deck... Uh, centers around a damage OTK. So pushing more damage makes it easier to kill them. So that's a win-win.
0: Yeah, I agreed, And that's one of the things chip damage. And you try to, again, you try to save all your pieces. Um, and sometimes it just burns you. So don't do that. Figure out the context. Right.
1: Oh, and, and for the, that same example too maybe that's still not a good idea to keep if the archetypes are different and the matchup is oh you're facing a control priest and you know you're up against control priest well chip damage doesn't really matter so much here because they're probably going to heal that up so maybe go for something different because you just need to set up the otk
0: makes sense and i was i meant to add this on the last comment but i, I spaced space it out when we we're talking about uh kind of trying to disrupt the opponent's game plan and understanding what they're going to do. That was like the one good thing I did against our matchups is I I played around your bellowing flames. That was, I think, annoying you.
1: Right. Oh, yeah. You played around that really well. Like you knew that I had it and it was intensely annoying uh, for like the whole game that I couldn't ever find a good moment to actually play it because I wanted to use it as clear and you kept making too many stats to where it wouldn't be a clear and didn't seem like a good enough play for me to make, so I kind of deviated with other plays instead. Uh, So that's that's usually a really good thing to do if you're against some kind of control deck that you know has some specific removal cards that would do really well against you. Pick one of them. Pick one of them that they have and play around it because they might have a totally different one that will always demolish you, and you're not really going to be able to do anything about that one You know, if you can play around that one, great. But if you play around that one, you might play into another one. So you just sort of have to make your choice and live with it.
0: Fair enough. Um, So I I didn't have a couple other questions, but we've gone a little bit long. Um, um, But where do you think? Why is mid-range such a four-letter word for some people? And where does it fit in in all this? (laughs) Oh, mid range! I miss mid range.
1: This is one of my favorite strategies in Hearthstone, and I think mid range is uh, sort of sort of similar to like the middle class in America. It's slowly dying in uh, Hearthstone. It's probably like completely dead at this point, uh, where it's it's like the the game has evolved to a point where a mid range type of strategy no longer really exists. Um, the, the typical mid-range strategy was, you know, you, you sort of play powerful cards on curve and you aim to close out the game by, like, turn 7 or 8. Uh, and one-turn kill strategies... Uh, Back in those days when mid-range got its definition, like combo decks, they didn't really come online till turn 10 or afterwards uh, f- for them to like assemble all the pieces and then do all the things. Well, frequently what happens in today's Hearthstone is the one-turn kill strategies, those combo decks, they kill you by turn 8, uh, maybe turn 9, maybe faster. There's a Sludge Warlock deck out there that kills you by turn 6 a lot of the time um, if they've assembled the right cards, which they frequently do. So mid-range is dead, I think, in Hearthstone. I and I don't think it's coming back. I think the complexity of the game has moved to a point that like like mid-range, when I think about it, I think of Savannah Hymane in Hunter. I think of a six mana six-five. <laughs> they changed it to a seven-five, like that does anything. Um, that uh that has a death rattle that summons two 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 minions. So It's a powerful minion, it does 6 damage for that 6 mana that you spent, assuming it lives, but it has 5 health, so if your opponent tries to kill it, you also get 4 damage out of it, because it summons more tutus. That used to be a really strong play that was really hard to answer, and meant that with the other chip damage you were doing up to that point, that minion effectively almost closed out games and the game was going to end in the next couple turns with more damage hero power stuff whatever now there's tons of healing there's tons of removal there's armor gain that's neutral for classes there's so many ways to get out of range of being dead from ship damage type strategies which is really what mid range is all about that it just doesn't exist
0: so you don't kind of sad about it but it's what it is So you wouldn't classify, and this is kind of how I thought it was going to be. You wouldn't classify Excavation Rogue as kind of mid rangey. Uh,
1: Excavate, <laughs> Excavate Rogue is like everything. Um, <laughs> it's insane. You know, you could, you could try to call it mid-range because some of its games are mid-range, but a mid-range deck has so many weaknesses that Excavate Rogue has, completely does not have. Excavate Rogue has technically every card. Um, it, in a way, it, it at least has access to essentially every card. Um, you know, Velarok can just literally discover any of them. What, what are the one thing, the only things that Excavate Rogue can't have? Neutral minions, maybe there there are certain neutral minions that they couldn't possibly have. I don't know. Maybe they still generate them in some crazy way, though. There is probably still a way to do that. Uh, and there's, you know, it can run tests if it wants to and recast all of these things. Um, Velarok does completely bonkers things. Scorpion does crazy things. No, I would not call excavate rogue a mid range deck. I would call it an aggro deck and a control deck and a combo deck and everything in between because whatever it wants to do, it can do.
0: Fair enough. And I call it excavation rogue because as deck tech said online, it's funny how it's excavations, but no one uses that to name the archetype. It's <laughs> mining or it's drilling or it's drilling. Yeah. Um, Personally, I call it keep on digging rogue. Yeah, Fair enough. And one thing I do, one thing I've come to grips with playing that is, it's a tilting deck because they beat you with a pyroblast. They beat you with a whatever. And I try to think of it as their win condition is to discover win conditions. So when they beat you with that, that's how the deck works. So that's not... They didn't get lucky by generating Pyroblast. They didn't get lucky by generating, you know, a King Crush or whatever it might be. It, it's what the deck does. Well, I mean, the,
1: they kind of did, but um, <laughs> your overall point does make sense. Yeah. The, the purpose of their deck... Uh, besides just having really good tempo plays turn after turn, which is a great way to win Hearthstone games. If you're just always winning on tempo, you're eventually just going to beat your opponent because they can't answer your onslaught of every turn being so powerful. But when Rogue starts to fall behind, they have insane comeback tools when rogue needs to close out the game they can generate all kinds of different crazy damage options to do that it is it's an exceptional deck it's fun to play uh but it can be extremely frustrating to play against because there are certain scenarios that are literally unbeatable you you might have played the most perfect hearthstone game of all time but you couldn't stop them discovering this thing that won the game unlucky
0: and some days you just lose it's there's you could get yeah, that's, that's yep. something to understand like if you lost it doesn't mean you played wrong or played poorly it yep. just means you lost
1: yeah which is of course very different from some other games you know uh card games are like that games that evolve a lot of rng uh they they're just Lots of elements you can't control. The best players in Hearthstone can't even crack a seventy percent win rate on a consistent basis. Uh, High sixties means that you are like probably the most incredible player of all time. You know, Pocket Train, the current world champion. He he's not out there sporting a seventy plus percent win rate when he plays games. He loses all of the time because it's just how Hearthstone works. He'll win more than he loses, of course, but. Harstone, gun to hearstone
0: Well, it's like they say in baseball, if you hit the ball three out of ten times, you're a very good player. If you hit the ball four out of ten times, you're phenomenal. And it's just... Yeah. <laughs> um, so, any final thoughts on this, besides it's situational? Um, I, I, that's
1: still probably the best thing that I can say, is just that it is so situational. But it does really depend on like your knowledge of what your deck does in order to win, what your opponent's deck does in order to win, and the space in between those things where you can find the types of lines that give you an advantage. Uh, And you can make that be incremental turn after turn. If you identify mistakes that your opponent is making, you can try to exploit those mistakes. Um, Or you can just try to... Set up as best you possibly can on every turn. What you can do that fits your overall win condition the best, and or counters your opponent's overall win condition the best. Uh, I'll I'll leave you with like an example of um, a horrible matchup: Highlander Hunter versus Sludge Warlock. Sludge Warlock has a very specific game plan. And it will win the game usually around turn six or so. Uh, maybe it goes as late as like turn eight or something. But it cheats out the gigantic, you know, minion Thaddeus, and then plays all of its cards for free and fires off damage at your face and wins the game. So your only real way to win, because you usually can't kill them fast enough, can I see if I get is this right? disruption.
0: Oh, oh go disruption. Ahead. I was going to say the only thing I do is if I know that's coming, we're getting to turn six or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I try to go as wide as possible, get as many minions on the board because maybe we'll absorb enough sludge to then counter.
1: That would work if you could make the minions big enough. But the reality is you can't um, because they have uh, like a couple plague eruptions. They run hellfire. They run things that do... Mass AOE that usually does enough damage to your minions uh, that you can't really have a wide enough, big enough board because it's turn six. So, like, it would literally be an unfair deck if you were somehow able to make like ten health and stats of like seven minions or something like that, which is sort of what it feels like you need in order to actually have a board that can soak up all the damage that they do. So, the the main way to actually counteract it is to go with full disruption rogues can beat it often because they run neophytes and they run bounce effects to keep playing neophytes and disrupt the turn highlander hunter has basically one option and it's mukla you play mukla and it puts bananas in their hand and it burns the top deck Uh so there's a very specific type of setup that they do where they play Talin. A five mana, three, three death rattle, divine shield taunt, and it will draw their highest cost minion in their deck. They usually play it to draw their Thaddeus. Well, if that's on the board and you have something that can pop the bubble, and then you play Mukla, you fill their hand with bananas, Mukla kills the Talon, they draw Thaddeus in their full hand, Thaddeus gets burned, now they lose because there goes their entire win condition. So that's a way that you beat it. But pretty much only that, which means you have to like throw away every card that's not named Mukla and hope to God that the right thing happens at the right time, because you're probably losing. Um, but identifying the outs in your lines of play, even in the worst matchups, are are sort of the, the ways that you win in scenarios where you're extremely unfavored.
0: And in those situations, too, sometimes you have, if, if you know it's, if you don't, sometimes there's more than one archetype. So sometimes, well, if, I, if it ends up being this archetype, if I don't have Mukla, I'm dead. But if it's the other archetype, I just kind of gave the game away too, right? So, um...
1: Right, yeah. I mean, uh, you hopefully know in advance as you're making those decisions, like for instance, it's in a tournament uh, open list, you see what it is. Um, if it's on ladder, you probably can't sell out for one specific strategy unless maybe you face that opponent before and you know what type of deck they're playing. Or Uh, At least in the case of like playing on high legend ladder, there's usually like, oh, well, there's only one viable archetype to actually bring in this spot for this class. So, you know, it's going to be that archetype type of thing or uh, you don't know, but, you know.
0: Fair enough. Well, Ron, that was a lot of information to digest, but I think there's a little room for dessert. We've, Sweet. Already asked, we've already asked you what your uh, favorite dessert is. I forget, but we already asked you. So if you want, go back to listen to the last episode we had Ron on. So I thought we'd ask him something a little different here. What is your favorite TV show to rewatch?
1: You know, uh, I don't know if I would have had an answer to this uh, that I could have reliably come up with uh, at least maybe like six months ago. But right now, uh, I'd have to say it is The Wire. Uh, the Wire, it's, it's my favorite show of all time. It's, it's an amazing show. And me and some buddies who play poker together decided that we would start a rewatch of The Wire. And this is a rewatch that will span over a year because we're watching from season one, episode one, all the way through to the end of the show in season five. And we're watching it weekly. So there's 12 episodes in every season, you know, it will wind up with like 60 episodes to watch. This is going to take us like 60 weeks. And right now we're on like, uh, I think season three, episode eight or something, I think is where we left off from last time until we watch the next show tomorrow. Uh, so it's been awesome to just like hang out, watch an hour of the wire, like, Chill and talk about it a little bit afterwards, and then get back to it the next week. Uh, It's it's a very fun experience.
0: Great answer. Um, I I I watch a lot of shows. Over I watch Band of Brothers pretty much every year, just because it's nice. And and sometimes though, it's I'll look and I say, well, do I really want to watch an episode of this season? Sometimes something like triggers that I want to go watch that, and then I end up rewatching the whole series. Um, So (laughs) I I I just rewatched the entire series of Game of Thrones because I wanted to get it and it was fine. It was, it was enjoyable. It is a very good series. And every time I've watched that one, it's probably, I used to rewatch the previous seasons before the next season. And so this is, I think the first, oh, time yeah. I've, I've watched it all the way through. And, and you, every time I've watched it, I've understood it better. And I was like, Oh, that guy's this person. And that's how they're related to this. And Oh, that's this person's brother. So yeah, I get it. Um, but wire is great. Wire, wire is one of my favorite things. Um, so, Ron, where can people find you out there in the world of the internet? So, uh, well, I'm I'm out there on
1: Twitter uh, at Ron underscore HS. Uh, usually I'm just posting very occasionally about Hearthstone things and tweeting that I'm going to be streaming. Um, you can catch me streaming where I stream uh, every weekday, Monday through Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. And I am at Ron Mexico HS. And... I very, very rarely now update on YouTube, but there's still some shorts you can go find and watch if you're into that. Uh, And I'll try to be updating again in the future, hopefully soon. Um, That's also at Ron Mexico HS on YouTube.
0: Fantastic. And you can find Doc at Doc on Twitter and Twitch. He says he's on Twitch. I haven't seen him in a very, very long time. And you can find me at Tito Santana HS on Twitter and Twitch. Um, Do you have any shout outs this week, Ron?
1: Uh, Shout out to you guys, uh, because it's really fun being a part of podcasts. Uh, I almost never feel like I have time to listen to podcasts, but uh, every time I like participate in one, it's always a really good time. When I have caught a podcast, which is rare, it's always fun to listen to, and you guys do a great job at what you do. So um, I I just want to say more people should go out and, and follow you and listen to your show.
0: You hear, heard it here first, although we've been saying it week, 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 every week, every week. But um, if you're already listening, that's not helpful. Um, we try to run the obelisk method of things. We're not a pyramid scheme. We're an obelisk scheme. Just have to tell one person. We don't need to just tell two. It's not tell two, just one, and we're good. Get them to nice. listen. We're fantastic. Uh, I'm going to shout out the entire THL team that I'm on right now. We've been, you know, we're, we're not the best team. Uh, obviously, the team with Ron Mexico, uh, Mick Bannerface, uh, who else is on your team there uh, oh pocket train i don't know the world champion yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah and- dread i also who's uh who's been a
1: grandmaster we we kind of cracked the code for cheating with composing an
0: insane roster yeah and they had to replace ridiculous hat when he went to be full time at blizzard so what you gonna do uh, but their team's great, but, but, but my team's really been coming together lately and we're reviewing each other's replays and, and coming up with talking strats. And, and it's, that's, that's one of the funnest things where it's like, well, what should I bring? And how do I do this? And what should I do? And and talking together. I think that's just fun. But anyway, Oh, I meant one more thing. So I don't think I said this at the front of the show. I think I told this to Ron. So if I'm repeating myself, just consider it podcast brain, because sometimes you forget what you talk about. Um, I invited Ron to be here on Saturday. Oh, it's Sunday. And, but Ron couldn't do Sunday. So he said, I can do Saturday. So I went back to Doc and I said, hey, Doc, can you do Saturday? And he said, yes. I said, OK, Ron, we'll see you Saturday. And then Doc came back and said, oh, um, I can't do Saturday because uh, Cortland and uh, Daniel decided that um, they were going to surprise me on Saturday. And they had to tell me about the surprise because I told them that I was doing a podcast on Saturday. So I felt bad about that. We'll let Doc talk about the surprise next week when he's here. But anyway, guys. I think we're toast. We'll see ya.
1: Slide two brothers meet one another when they slide up to the mic. It's bread and butter with one another. Let's start
0: up that recording light.